This is Express FM. Supported by Southern Co-op. We are passionately pumping. Begins, look forward, work together to create a Portsmouth football club that we can all be proud to be associated with. Pure, unadulterated pumping. It's a massive club, it's a massive opportunity for me. I know this atmosphere is special. I can't wait to see you at Full House and it rocking. Action and reaction. This is Shoes Football Club. We're here to be hopefully successful. The infrastructure is changing. So really we want to start pushing forward and making Portsmouth a real force. Giving Pompey fans a voice. It's a club with a rich tradition, a rich heritage, but one that has an excellent relationship with its supporters. This is the Football Hour. The one team that stands out that's historic, that's had great success, that has a fan base that is amazingly passionate, is Portsmouth. Sutton went wrong for Pompey on Tuesday night. Deep towards the far post, it's back across goal, great chance, and has to be 2-0 it is. And Lewis John gets his first of the season, as with the first goal, it's point blank range, there's nothing Alex Bass can do, it's sloppy from Pompey, it's Portsmouth nil, Sutton United 2. The Blues are close to an early exit from this season's EFL trophy, but off the pitch, things are beginning to look up. Later this evening, we'll hear from Chief Executive Andrew Cullen, who reveals the time frame for major work to commence at Fratton Park. This is only the start of the process because in January we will start the redevelopment of the North Lower and when that happens we've got to relocate a number of people for the second half of the season and then after that over the course of the summer we'll start work on the South Stand. We'll also look ahead to tomorrow's trip to Rotherham. Danny Carley recognises the need to start picking up points on the road. What normally defines the teams that are towards the top of the league and the teams that actually get promoted is the away form. So if you want to be successful you have to find a way of winning away from home. It's Friday, it's six o'clock in the evening. You know what time it is. Welcome to Express FM. You're listening to the Football Hour. This is the Football Hour, 93.7 Express FM. A very good evening and once again, welcome to the Football Hour here on Express FM. I am joined tonight by two more Blues supporters to review the events of Pompey's most recent outing. And as you just heard, it ended in defeat once more in the EFL Trophy on Tuesday night to Football League newcomers Sutton United who were victorious by two goals to nil and as per usual Pompey fans listening back home this evening we want to know what you thought of the game we also want to know your score predictions for the next fixture which is of course away to Rotherham United tomorrow afternoon what did you learn from Tuesday's defeat to Sutton in the Papa John's Trophy? Was it simply a one-off for the Blues or is there genuine cause for concern when it comes to the strength in depth in this squad? And who would you like to come in and uh, replace the suspended Ronan Curtis for tomorrow's trip to South Yorkshire? All the ways to get in touch as per usual. Send a text starting with the word express to 81400. You can email Pompey at expressfm.com. You can find us on Twitter at expressfm or find us over at Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Pompey Live. Before we go any further with tonight's conversation, though, we've got to do it. We've got to go back to Tuesday night. And uh, Andy Moo was joined on the commentary at Fratton Park by Mark Kelly for round two of this season's group stage fixtures in the EFL Trophy. Everything we do is passionately Pompey. A wonderful goal! Every second of the action is right here. Shoot and scores! 90 minutes of passionately Pompey commentary. He's gone! This is you Pompey Live. You wouldn't necessarily put winning and much needed in the same sentence tonight, other than for Portsmouth's EFL trophy future, because if they were to lose tonight, there is a very high chance that they will head out of the competition. Portsmouth, usual home kit as we're underway, going from left to right. Down this right-hand side, Carbo with a chance to cross into the near post. Great chance, block, still left for side into the net. They've got the goal that their play has it all honestly deserved. Two bites at the cherry there for Isaac Holofay, and he gets his first of the season. The first time he hit a Pompey player, the second time he hits the back of the net. And ten minutes into the second half, it's Portsmouth nil, Sutton United one. We're going to see delivery-wise here. So we've seen some good ones from Randall in the first half. Can he get this one right? Deep towards the far post. It's back across goal. Great chance, and has to be two 0 It is. And Lewis John gets his first of the season. He had two bites at the cherry again, as with the first goal. 
It's point-blank range. There's nothing Alex Bass can do. It's sloppy from Pompey. And they're heading to a really, really disappointing defeat here at Fratton Park. It's Portsmouth nil, Sutton United 2. And the big cheer from down on the touchline comes from the Sutton United fans because they've beaten Portsmouth by two goals to nil here at Fratton Park. Pompey managed two shots, none on target. And that probably sums it up. Every second of the action is right here. This is 93.7 Express FM. Pompey Live. Those were the highlights then from the midweek action at PO4 as Pompey uh, suffered yet another defeat in this season's EFL Trophy following on from last month's heavy loss at AFC Wimbledon. I say heavy, conceding five goals is never good. Of course, Pompey coming back into that game from 2-0 down to lead 3 to at one stage. But that is now two defeats on the spin for the Blues in this season's competition and taking a look at Pompey's group uh, after two matches played. Of course, only one left for the Blues this season. The Blues have zero points. Uh, Crystal Palace under 21s also have zero in third place with a slightly better goal difference. AFC Wimbledon are second with three points and Sutton United top on six with a plus five goal difference. AFC Wimbledon and Crystal Palace under 21s meet next week in uh, in their second match of this season's competition. A draw for Wimbledon or of course a victory would uh, confirm Pompey's early exit from this season competition. Okay, welcoming in uh, tonight's guests uh, for this show then. And first of all, I'm very delighted to welcome on uh, the returning Mark Coates. Mark, a very good evening to you, sir. Good evening, mate. Great to have you on board, Mark. Of course, a a defeat for Pompey in midweek to Sutton United in in the EFL Trophy. Not the kind of result that Pompey were looking for. Eight changes to Danny Cowley's side from the uh, the 4-0 victory over Sunderland just 10 days prior is it a cause for concern that you know the strength and depth within the squad is not quite up to scratch? Um, is it a cause for concern? Um, not, I'm not too bothered about the EFL. We've won it. We, I don't think Pompey fans are that bothered about the EFL. It was a great day out uh, when we all went to Wembley. Not so much the last time, but um, when, when we had that iconic goal from uh, from Jamal, we won in that exciting uh, shootout at the end, and Hawkins got his moment of glory. All those great memories. That was that was great. But um, we're a little bit more interested in in getting out of this league, aren't we? So that in itself is an issue. But I think what you're going to go on to discuss, which is, OK, there's a bit of debate about who replaces Ronan Curtis. There are solutions there, but there aren't many. That's the bit that worries us. It's not going to be all bad being out of the EFL, but how many injuries are we going to get? Um, you know, that's these are these are the, the problems, especially going into January uh, when, when the number of injuries increases so dramatically. Yeah. Alongside you this evening, Mark, uh, very pleased to welcome back onto the show Adam Hillier. Adam, very good evening, mate. Evening, Jake. Evening, everyone. So, uh, look, Adam, the last time we spoke, it's been a little while now. Pompey have started to to find their feet a little bit in League One, obviously referring back to Tuesday's defeat in the EFL Trophy, but also kind of referring back to the 4-0 win over Sunderland. Heading into tomorrow's game at Rotherham, which we will come on to preview in a bit more detail later in the show. Are you confident now that within this squad, Pompey have got the capability in the starting eleven at least to go out and put on a show and defeat a team like Rotherham, who are flying a bit high at the moment, or kind of you know like like Mark's alluding to there, whilst it's not the end of the world to be out of the EFL Trophy, when you've got your reserves, your fringe players not quite performing to the levels you'd expect them to, does that worry you heading into the next couple of months before the January transfer window? It does a little bit. I think with the likes of, you know, your Sunderlands, even though we beat in your Ipswich, who I think are starting to come good. There's teams in this division who have a better all-round squads than us, I think is probably fair to say. Um, you know, with the fringe players being given a chance the other night and maybe not performing to the levels to be expected, if there's problems within the starting eleven, or there's problems with injuries or we're needing a bit of inspiration and we need to turn to the bench do we have what we need on the bench to be able to turn a game around? Do we have any chain, like real game changes we could potentially bring on? I'm, I'm not too sure. I'm confident in the start in 11, but you can't play a start in 11 90 minutes of every game of the season. Um, so I think maybe the fringe players need to be looking to step up into those roles um, and really support the main 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 players who I think 
you know, we've seen now what that we know what they're capable of and should be delivering each and every week. Mm. Uh, Alan Swift uh, has got in touch on the emails. He says, hi, Jake and friends. I may fear the worst for tomorrow as Rotherham may be seeking to exploit their high position in the table and expose our deep-seated recognised weaknesses. Sunderland uh, accepted due to the horrific playing conditions against the Black Cats, which obviously more than even things up. Hoping for the best while fearing the worst. I cannot optimistically predict a win for us tomorrow, says Alan in Southie. Thank you to Alan uh, for getting in touch tonight. Linda Mail on the emails. Let's hope we don't have any uh, injuries because the reserve players on Tuesday are not good enough for first team football. They must be content playing in the reserves because they did not put any effort uh, to change the game. No fight or passion or uh, couldn't care about playing for Portsmouth. Harsh words there, Mark, but... Is it something you can you can actually kind of agree with based on the showing on Tuesday night? Oh, 100%. I mean, Ryan Stilwell's uh, blog on the um, uh, the other day, I think, summed it all up. Raggett was was strong. Again, there was some real professional pride from him, and he's come on leaps and bounds from when we first saw him um, in, the, in the side. But looking at players like Michael Jacobs, just as an individual, I was so disappointed in him. Why was he... Why was he not performing above that? He's he's way much. He's so much better than that. And I'm I'm sure that they um they train alongside the rest of the first team. They know what the standard is. And Jacobs is a is, is a great player for me or was. And and I don't know where his head was at. I thought there was it was dismal. I think that's extremely um well worded email. And uh, a player that Mark just mentioned there, Adam, Sean Raggett, who on Tuesday night received many of the plaudits in a side which did, you know underperform and really underwhelmed the supporters that were at Fratton Park in midweek. But Sean Raggett was one of the standout performers and one of one of probably, I'd say, two or three players you could probably look at their performance and say they were giving 110% on Tuesday night. Yeah, and Raggett's been like that, really. Um, and he had big shoes to fill in uh, since Christian Burgess departed, really, and the, and the holes left there. And obviously Matt Clark a little bit further back as well. So, you know, the, the past few years we've always had that one centre back that sort of stands out above the rest um, and I, re- I really like that uh, I'm sure Maggot's sort of embraced that now and yeah I think he completely gets the club which also helps but you know you can see when he plays that he, he doesn't shirk any tackles he's always given his 100% and of course he's made some mistakes while being at the club but those mistakes seem to be like being begin to be in uh, ironed out and you know we've got a, what I'd argue is one of the better centre-backs in, in the league now, which is um, you know, some, a real asset to have. Yeah, and uh, going back to Tuesday night as well, Mark, uh, Ellis Harrison coming off the field of play with an injury after Pompey have already made three substitutions. Not a good sign, especially when you have made all three subs when a player comes off injured, but particularly when we talk about the strength and depth within this squad. We saw Ellis Harrison's hat-trick against Wimbledon in the previous round of fixtures in this competition, not quite mm. given the game time that he would have hoped for in the league this season, but kind of further emphasising our point about the strength and depth within the squad. If Ellis Harrison is to miss, uh, you know, however many games in the next couple of weeks or maybe a month or so, depending on on, on the results of his scan and, and how long he's going to be out for, you've got Gassan Ahadmi and George Hurst, who, quite frankly, I don't really think they've impressed too many fans so far during their time at Fratton Park. No, I had I me. Mean, that seems to have been a, a blip. Um, what, what happened in pre-season? Uh, and Hurst is enthusiastic, athletic. You know, looks strong, but um, doesn't seem to read the game at all. Well, doesn't know his way around the pitch. And maybe that's just game time. But and and a, a bit of youth. But he's been disappointing. Um, yeah, I see no one other than Harrison. I'm a big fan of Harrison. I think he works really hard. I remember at times uh, in the last couple of seasons, he's, his stats have been outstanding, actually, even playing a bit part. Um, but he's he's a loss on the on the bench. Um, and as you say, I see I see nothing. I've seen nothing after Mark Chris. Curtis has played there, hasn't he? As we know, but he's of course suspended in the next match. Yeah, and uh, you know, again, this, this this first part of the show, Adam, is is heavily kind of focused on Pompey's strength in depth or, or maybe lack thereof. Without revealing too much of what we're going to hear from Andrew Carlin in the next part of the show, but you know, the general consensus around the management team and a, a, a bit of a majority of supporters is that this isn't going to be a straight up promotion season. It's not going to be as easy as that. With the Cowley brothers coming in, they've had a, a big squad overhaul. But if we're being completely honest, there are still parts of this side that needs tweaking. If we're if we're going to become the final product and the team that's going to be 
definitely chasing for promotion. So given the January transfer window, possibly next summer too, from what you've seen so far with the players that are performing, can you see the way that they are trying to adopt Danny Cowley's tactics, the ones that are you know, wanting to be at the club and the ones that perhaps are looking to move on in January or the summer? Uh, I yeah, I can see you know there's there's players that that have embraced it really well. Obviously, a lot of the squad this season is brand new, and um, but there's players like Yuli Brown seems to have adapted really well to playing this sort of football. And you know, if we're really honest, maybe at the beginning of the season we didn't see. Lee Brown as a first choice left back and maybe I think some fans would probably call him for support elsewhere but actually he's turned out to be one of our better players so far this season so of course there's going to be players that will that will want out who are perhaps on the on the fringe and you know they won't be part of this overall project but we just got to give it time we had you know years and years of trying to get up under the previous regime and it, it, it didn't work out so you know for in order for a new philosophy and for a new style to be fully implemented, the management need time because the Cavalry brothers need time. And you know, I know it's not always what us Pompey fans want. We we expect more, and we expect to be higher up than we are. We are one of the biggest clubs in the league, but this is this is the situation we're in. So we have to you know trust the process, and hopefully it works out in the long run. Mm. Uh, a comment here on Twitter from uh, Alfie John who says the best way to replace Ronan Curtis tomorrow is to move Harness up top with John Marquis and having uh, Miguel Aziz or Rico Hackett Fairchild as a number 10. Hopefully with uh, Ogilvy returning uh, we can be more solid at the back. Sunderland was a let off for this back three as going forward they kept shooting themselves in the foot. Alfie John on Twitter there and, and, and Mark a, a very good point uh, kind of referring back to that Sunderland game that's uh, what two weeks ago now despite the fact Pompey played to the conditions and you, you've got to give full credit to that squad for for adapting to the situation of a scenario to, to claim the win and an emphatic win of that really baffling as to why the Sunderland team kept going down the, the right hand channel to try and get balls into the box on the worst part of the pitch due to the waterlogged Pompey going straight through the middle putting the balls over the top trying to avoid those areas Sunderland trying to play straight into them uh, yeah, and I think youth versus experience was the uh, uh, the real um, first eleven v first eleven. I, I, I think that um, wily foxes like Marquis absolutely love any uh, sort of any any horrible conditions like that because they know uh, where the weak spots are. And he went for the jugular, didn't he? Um, and I think we saw we saw um, uh, we saw that they inexperienced. And, and I think they were listening to the Sunderland fans. It sounds a bit like they'd. Um, they they were carrying a bit of ego with them that that Sunderland team, uh, and I think unless I'm reading it wrong, some of those fans almost thought, "Hang on, that's that's putting down a peg or two, give them a dose of reality, stop them thinking they're any easy games, and that it's going to be a cakewalk and might actually do them a bit of good. It might be a bit of medicine for them going forward. Mm. Uh, that Sunderland side." Okay, well, lads, uh, thank you both so much for your input so far. We'll be catching up with you guys later on in the show. But after the break, we'll be taking a listen to an exclusive interview with Pompey CEO Andrew Cullen. I met with him earlier for the first time this week and uh, he revealed his ambitions for the club as well as how he's found life on the South Coast so far. Portsmouth has had a fairly chequered past over recent years in terms of three administrations since 1998. We now have owners who have invested a considerable amount of money into the football club to make sure it's built on solid foundations, not on sand. And that's the next stage of the chapter. You know, how do we create something special for the people of Portsmouth? And that's what um, you know. I want to play a major part in achieving. You won't want to miss this one, trust me. So stay right where you are and join us again in just a few moments' time. This is the Football Hour, 93.7 Express FM. Welcome back to the Football Hour here on Express FM, where I'm tonight joined by Mark Coates and Adam Hillier to preview Pompey's upcoming League One fixture away at Rotherham United. But before we come on to look ahead to the weekend's action, let's take a listen to the thoughts of Blues Chief Executive Andrew Cullen. I sat down with him on Wednesday morning to get an update on all things Pompey, including some big off-field revelations. We are joined now by Blues CEO Andrew Cullen, who I'm delighted to say has agreed to speak to us here at Express FM for the very first time. Andrew, it's been almost five months since your appointment as Chief Executive here at Portsmouth. How are you settling into your role at the club? 
Yeah, I think it's probably coming up to about 90 to 100 days now since I came in on the 16th of June. I think people have described it as somewhat of a baptism of fire for me. But um, to be quite honest, I think for any CEO of any business at the moment, it is really, really strange times as we navigate our way out of the pandemic. I was at the Leaders in Sport conference uh, last week and speaking to CEOs, not just of football clubs, but of other sporting organisations, clubs, right from table tennis through to rugby and football cricket, we've all been facing some really, really big challenges as we come out of what has been a very, very difficult period for everybody. You know, most businesses um, were shut down. A lot of businesses had their staff on furlough. Portsmouth was you know, no different in that respect in terms of all our backroom staff were, were technically furloughed. We're quite proud that no redundancies uh, were made during that period. But of course, I think as far as supporters were concerned, it was business as usual in terms of certainly the football taking place, even though people couldn't attend games. So, uh, you know, it was great to, to be able to, to see last season out in that respect for the football industry and for many sporting bodies. But, you know, without crowds, it was a fairly pointless exercise. But, you know, the show was kept on the road. So I think we've now come out of it I think we have um, you know we're getting getting staff back into our businesses we're facing shortages um, of labour um, as, as most industries are particularly in terms of casual match day staff for our football club and I think for me, you know, it's been um, really exciting in terms of the development in the stadium. Uh, we've seen an £11.5 million redevelopment of Fratton Park, which will take place over the next two and a half years. I think on my second day, uh, the um, announcement of the training ground, purchase of the training ground, was made public. Um, that was a lot of work that was done by my predecessor, Mark Catlin, in getting that one over the line with the and the owners putting that investment. And it's great, I think, for the first time in its history that Portsmouth has actually owned its training ground and it's actually on the island but that created its own set of um, challenges and issues in that we inherited the Rocco building which is um, has over 2,000 members and it's a building that um, you know we're keen to put a lot more capital investment into and that has been, in terms of integrating uh, that business in, has taken a considerable amount of time as well and making sure we're operationally correct. So combined, it's been really, really busy, really hectic and obviously compounded by the challenges of coming out of the pandemic. But it's really exciting because what we can see is a real way forward, a, r- a real opportunity for the football club. I think Portsmouth has had a fairly checkered past over recent years in terms of three administrations since 1998. We now have owners who have invested a considerable amount of money into the football club to make sure it's built on solid foundations, not on sand. And that's the next stage of the chapter. You know, how do we create something special for the people of Portsmouth? And that's what um, you know, I want to play a major part in achieving. You have already had a number of challenges thrown your way in the short space of time you've held the position at Frasson Park. What's been the toughest one you've had to face so far? Um, that's a good question. I think coming out of, um, you know, ge- gearing the business up, reorganising the business, and we're about to um, finalise a number of new positions in the football club in terms of uh, to make ourselves fit for purpose going forward. So, you know, bringing people back in has been a major challenge. I think the biggest issue um, that probably supporters will recognise is um, having to go through a period of the stadium redevelopment, which has meant that we've had to re- locate people from their usual seats. We had three weeks notice that we were going to come back to full crowds um, from the government, which whilst welcome, I think was unexpected by a lot of people in football, certainly by the people at Portsmouth Football Club. I think they'd planned that we'd probably come back at 25%, 50% capacity, uh, hence, you know, the very good decision to put flexi tickets on sale, which meant that, um, you know, we, we could satisfy all season ticket holders across a number of games. But of course, then uh, once we had full capacity back uh, we were in a position where we wanted to put people back in their seats wherever we possibly could but in all cases we couldn't do that so we've had to go through a period of relocation and I have to be quite honest this is only the start of the process because in January we will start the redevelopment of the north lower and when that happens we've got to relocate a number of people for the second half of the season and then after that over the course of the summer we'll start work on the south stand and It's not so much the relocation issue, it's what happens when the works are complete, because what we will see is a very, very different layout of seats in both the North Lower and in the South Stand. Um, There'll be more capacity in the North Lower. Um, The South Stand would be broadly the same, but we'll get a much more uniform layout in the South Stand. So what is really, really critical is that supporters who have enjoyed seats around their friends, around their families, some have been on back rows, some have been on front rows, some have had aisle seats, is that 
somehow we get that jigsaw puzzle all together. And the key to doing that is to involve supporters in that process. So it's something that we, uh, the club wasn't able to do for this first stage, but we will be doing for the January stage. So from next week, uh, we've got our first consultation meeting, our first working group with supporters. It's proper consultation. It's, it's actually to say, look, how do we make this work in the best possible way? And how do we communicate it to everybody concerned? So all those affected can have a, you know, a say in that decision. So that's something we'll kick off next week. We've got a couple of meetings to take place. We can then start use the month of November to communicate the process and then sort of execute it in December, ready for January the 8th, which will be the first game where part of the North Stand Lower will be out of action as we start those redevelopment works. And people say, why are you doing it during a season? Um, well, we have no alternative because this is a two-year programme and if we don't do works during the season, it becomes a five-year programme. And over those five years, we'd slowly see the capacity of Fratton Park have to reduce to potentially below 11,000. And that is um, not something that any of us want to see. My next question was about the Fratton Park development plans, but you've already highlighted that in plenty of detail. But could you just tell us what fans can expect to see visually over the next two or three years? You mentioned this is phase one of the development and a lot of it is to try and maintain the ground to a working order. Are there any visual improvements we could see between now and the summer of 2024? Well, the first thing we see, we're, we're very close to actually be able to release some drawings uh, of what the new South Stand will look like, what the North Lower will look like, and a proper version of how the Milton end will work. So those will be released, I'm hoping, within the next fortnight. Um, so that will give people a real opportunity to see what's happened. The South Stand is going to be probably the one which sees the most dramatic change because instead of having the, the moat at the front, that the sort of the two-tier hanging basket effect at the stand, it will now become a complete reprofile stand in, into one area. So it comes down, that improves safety, um, enables us to open up a few more of the concourses as well to provide a better experience behind the stand. Importantly, it will improve some of the sight lines for supporters. And ultimately, you know, the most important thing when, when supporters and fans come to football matches is they want to feel safe. And this really, really does improve that notion of safety. So the North Lower, again, is a little bit higgledy-piggledy in the way that it, uh, it goes up. That will all be fixed as such so that we will have uh, the ability at some point in the future when we want to then rework the North Stand completely and make it a much bigger capacity stand. Most of those improvements in the North Lower um, will work. If anybody's familiar with the building programme at Liverpool, for example, where they've taken the main stand and then built behind it to create more capacity and more seats, that is basically the model that we would look to do with the North Stand. Um, and then we can create far more space within the stand for use on non-match days as much as match days. So that's a big area. Really exciting is the improvements to accessibility. Fratton Park has a poor reputation. Um, I have to say, I know that from coming from, we, you know, with Norwich City, my first club, and Milton Keynes Dons, my second club, where, you know, when you get back from Fratton Park, you're dealing with um, issues from disabled supporters. You know, they've had to sit with the home fans at Portsmouth, not in great conditions. And we will be able, within the Milton end, to really improve those facilities. We're looking at some exciting developments, a changing places room, which is um, something that uh, we were able to install at uh, Stadium MK. We'll be doing one of those at uh, Fratton Park as well. We'll have lifts going in there so people necessarily aren't having to watch the game right at ground level. There'll be different vantage points to watch the game from, so that's really, really key. And then the Milton End itself, we need to redevelop that. It's got its own issues in that it's built on a on a mound. Um, the mound is um, contaminated. You've also got to look at very difficult issues in terms of um, the right of light because it's um, built right adjacent to, to, to houses so there's a limit in terms of how much you can raise that particular stand but again we've got some exciting plans there which means on match days we get some cover into those concourses on a temporary basis which will work well and doesn't deprive our neighbours of their right to light so there's a lot, lot of things happening which will improve it and most importantly initially we'll restore capacity to over 20,000 and going forward we'll provide the ability for Fratton Park to grow further. And on the subject of the stadium, it's been revealed recently from various news sources that the FA and the government are close to agreeing a deal to introduce safe standing to English football. The Premier League and Championship are expected to undergo trials between now and next summer. 
Is Portsmouth Football Club and Fratton Park ready to take on the challenge of safe standing if it is introduced? I think it's something, if that's the will of a lot of supporters want to see safe standing at Fratton Park, then it's something that we would definitely want to consider. What we need to do um, is, again, conduct a proper process in that, consult. If we're going to take a specific area of Fratton Park to be safe standing, then obviously we need to consult with supporters in in that area. Um, We're in a situation where we can see regular capacity crowds, so it's not like you've got plenty of spare space that you can just say, right, we'll create this section and it won't affect anybody. So we need to be very, very careful how we do it. The idea of the pilots is to test um, different types of seating and then, you know, we can benefit from that, from watching what happens between now and the end of the season and learn from that process. But we're extremely open-minded to be able to do that. I think from a personal perspective, a safe standing, the clues in the word, we have a lot of people who will stand in their seats and that creates safety issues, not just for them, but for those around them as well. So it's something I think that the government has finally been persuaded that, so a move to safe standing is going to improve all around safety. And I come back to it again. I've done a lot of surveys in football over the last you know, 24 years in the game. And amongst those surveys, we always ask supporters to rank what is most important to them when they come to a football match. Is it winning? Is it the half-time entertainment? Is it the quality of the catering? Is it the view of the game? And the thing that consistently comes top of the list is feeling safe. And that is something that we have a responsibility as people who run football clubs to deliver for our supporters. Mm, and that feeds me on nicely to my next question. The matchday experience at Fratton it is something I know you are keen to keep improving. What changes have been made so far and are there any more in the pipeline? Yeah, I think the most significant changes obviously will come from redeveloping the stands. But it's something that um, I think... You know, coming out of the pandemic is a chance to review everything as, as supporters return to stadiums. The most immediate thing we're working on at the moment is trying to improve the catering. We've got a decision uh, that was taken before my arrival to take the kiosks in-house, which is a very, very difficult business to operate and run, both in terms of staffing, in terms of operation, and essentially, you know, it's a peak period of 15 minutes at half-time and probably 25 minutes before the game, and you need to employ an army of people all week just to deliver that experience, and it's very, very difficult thing to do 25 times a year 26 times a year so um, really excited that we've now found a partner who will take that on for us the club will get a decent share of um, the income that supporters spend at the stadium and they already have um, some pedigree in terms of working at um, you know the Oval uh, Chelsea Brighton I think um, certainly talking to supporters at the Sunderland game and tasting uh, the pies they were really impressed by what they were delivering we've got some challenges in terms of the kiosks themselves are not basically in a number of areas fit for purpose. Uh, you have long bars with a disproportionate number of dispense points on them, so you can't serve beer as quick as you want. You can put all the staff in there, but if you can't get to the, the pumps, you've got problems. So pressure on the breweries to deliver us more pumps. We have been able to get a hold of some mobile bar units to strategically place in the stands. We want to reinvigorate the area behind the Fratton end, the outside area, and bring back some units outside there so that people can mill around pre-match. The Victory Bar, um, there's a lot of low-hanging fruit there. It was great. I was in there for the Plymouth game, got talking to a couple of tables in there who'd arrived early and, you know, in the space of 20 minutes there was a number of ideas that were generated some of which we've been immediately be able to to, to impact. So that was really helpful and you get that by walking around and talking to people and listening. You know, we've got two ears and, and that is the way that you make improvements to the match day experience understanding what people want and then seeing how you can best effectively deliver them. So those are areas to work on. We've obviously made the stadium cashless. I think that is going to speed things up as well. The ability just now just to go to the bar and not wait for change makes it safer for our staff, but equally should speed the process up. The other thing which has had some teething problems is obviously the loyalty card entry scheme into the club. Suspended some of that until we get the entry issues sorted and right. I think we've gone a long way to doing that for Sunderland. We had no queues four minutes before kick-off for Sunderland, which was really, really a good thing given the atrocious and horrible weather conditions that particular day. So we've got to continue to work on the things we did for that particular game. I think people are now got used to the new cards, but the idea then is to use those cards so you 
you can potentially load cash on and you can get benefits um, as part of a wider Barclays uh, scheme as well. So those will be rolled out over the next uh, few months. But I just want to make sure that we involve supporters in testing these things before they go out. I think there's lots of great ideas that came out from staff as they slowly return to work over the course of the summer. But in truth, a lot of things were rolled out far too quickly, um, enthusiastically, but not properly tested. And it's working. We've already got a number of supporters that we can work with who will almost like become users and test these things before we roll them out on a general basis so we can earn the things out. And not just new products, but some of the existing things that we deliver and organise because we can improve and we can consistently improve. And you can sit inside the club and say, right, this is a journey to book, let's take online parking, for example, move it online. You know, people can then book their parking. But you've got to make sure the journey to get there on the website is easy and you can find it and deliver it. So that's one area where we immediately found that uh, it didn't work as well as it should have done. And that came from good feedback from supporters on a match day. So that's what we'll continue to do. And uh, I'll make sure that not just myself, but as many as my team are visible to take the feedback. The stewards are always a great thing because the stewards will always feed things back to their supervisors and the supervisors have a debrief after every game. And Maurice Stedman set up a brilliant system of suggestion cards and things that come in. So, and I'm very much a part of that after every game. So I can listen and learn how we can make improvements at every game. You never stop in football. Andrew Cullen, Chief Executive of Portsmouth Football Club there. Andrew, thank you ever so much for taking the time out of your day to come and speak to us. I've thoroughly enjoyed meeting you and your input today is very much appreciated. Thank you and look forward to working with Express FM as well over the next few months. A big thank you once again to uh, New Pompey CEO Andrew Cullen there for coming in uh, to meet the team here at Express FM earlier this week, as well as providing us with some important off-field information within that interview as well. And uh, believe it or not, (laughs) there's actually more to that conversation, six minutes worth of extra content, and we'll be releasing the full interview on our website over at expressfm.com tomorrow morning. Keep those text, tweets and emails coming in to us then, Blues fans. After the break, I'll be reintroducing Mark and Adam for the final 20 minutes of the show to look ahead to this weekend's match against Rotherham United. Get in touch uh, now to avoid missing out and let us know your score predictions too. All the usual ways, text the word express, followed by your name and message to 81400. You can email Pompey at expressfm.com. Otherwise, include at expressfm within your tweets or visit facebook.com forward slash Pompey Live. When we do return, we'll also hear the pre-match thoughts of Danny Cowley, who addresses the situation regarding the suspended Ronan Curtis and the opportunity opens up for other members of the playing squad. Obviously, it's never good to lose a key player, but this is what happens if you get five bookings in October and we have to work around it. He'll have a good weekend of training and then be available come the Ipswich game and it creates another opportunity for somebody else and that's the great thing about football. You're listening to Express FM. Stay tuned for the conclusion of the Football Hour. This is the Football Hour, 93.7 Express FM. Welcome back for the final time this evening to the Football Hour here on Express FM. We have just under 20 minutes to get your final messages into the panel, who I'll be bringing back into the conversation very, very soon. We now come to the part of the show where we take a look forward to the next Blues game. Danny Cowley takes his side to fifth place Rotherham United this weekend and here he is now with Ollie Marsh to preview tomorrow's match. Well Danny obviously uh, a tough test on Saturday against a Rotherham side who have been strong since they come down from the Championship. Yeah absolutely uh, one of the informed teams in the division I think they've got a Championship squad got competition in, in every area and it'll be a really tough game for us. Yeah, what, what type of game do you see it being? What kind of way are you expecting Rotherham to play? Well, I think Rotherham are a really physical team very athletic um, have very good pitch coverage and like to play forward very quickly and, and have real threat in open space so for us we have to make sure that we are aware of their strengths but also find areas where we can exploit is your team still sort of riding a crest of a wave from the Sunderland performance, which must be sort of up there as one of the best performances of the season so far? Yes, I think we were really pleased with the level of performance. It certainly set a benchmark and now for us it's to try to build on that and that's what our, our ambition is going into Saturday's game. We were, we were really pleased, particularly in the final third of the Sunderland game, because I think we were able to be clinical and ruthless in equal measure and now we go into a tough game against Rotherham, uh, away from home and um, looking for a similar performance. 
you'll have your international players back as well. It must always be nice to be able to get them back in the building and back on the training ground. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's been great to have everybody back in today. And they've all been different parts of Europe. Some great experiences. Young Miguel scored and assisted in a really good win for the under-20s. Joe contributed again in two good performances for Wales. And Gavin played one of the two games, so he didn't play the second friendly. They rested him, which we were really appreciative of because he's had a busy start to the season. But he was exceptional again in their first game. And and Ronan Curtis, I think, is suspended for the weekend. How do you get past that one? Well, obviously, it's never good to lose a a key player, but um, this is what happens if you get five bookings in October, and we have to work around it. You know, Ronan will train. He's had a good week of training. There's certain elements and aspects of his game that we've been working on. He'll have a good weekend of training and then be available come the Ipswich game, and it creates another opportunity for somebody else, and that's the great thing about football. Just on availability as well, how are Paul Downing and Ellis Harrison looking? They both came off in the Sutton game. Yeah, that's right. It was um, a tough night for us in terms of injuries for sure and we're waiting on scans for both of them to know more about the extent of those injuries. And we mentioned the Sunderland game, which was obviously a fantastic performance at home. Do you feel confident that you're going to be able to bring that level of performance to away games as well? Well, I think successful teams need to be able to win away. What normally defines the teams that are towards the top of the league and the teams that actually get promoted is the away form. So if you want to be successful, you have to find a way of winning away from home. And certainly when I look at my teams in the past that have had promotions, we've always been able to do that. And I think to be a good team away from home, you need certain qualities and certainly the grit, the determination, resilience, durability and these types of qualities are very important. And these are the ones that we're going to need to show if we want to get a successful result on Saturday. That was Blues head coach Danny Cowley there with his own preview of tomorrow's matchup at the New York Stadium. Uh, Mark Coates, welcome back to the show. Uh, moving on to this weekend's game then, a tough challenge expected to await Pompey. Will the confidence of that 4-0 win over Sunderland play a part in helping proceedings tomorrow afternoon? Oh, for sure. I mean, they, they were, despite the fact that obviously we had experience, I think, to be honest, we had a manager who was um, a bit more mobile in his thinking and and better tactically. Um, I think that even if if it's not pouring down within with record amounts of water, I think that um, they'll take that confidence into the into the next match because the conditions were same for both for both sides. And Sunderland a very strong strong group. Slightly different for Rotherham. I see them as a stronger, more physical um, uh, outfit though. Uh, Dave Byrne on the email says good evening all the January transfer window could potentially be hectic Gavin Bazuna will be a tough act to follow whenever he go, goes back to Manchester City or on, uh, to another loan in the championship maybe would Alex Bass automatically become number one or will we look for another goalkeeper I still think that another centre-back of first team quality needs to be brought in and unless Marlon Romeo's move becomes permanent then it, uh, it is another position we'll need to look at Defensive midfield, I do not feel we are strong in that area. The same applies still to a creative midfield player, although I'm sure there is more to come from Joe Morrell. And then there is our forward line, which has become much, much more reliable. A lot to do, the opinion of uh, Dave Byrne on the email, who concludes by saying, beware Michael Smith tomorrow. He's a decent player who, like a few others over the years, we failed to play to his strengths. Dave enlists on the emails. And yeah, speaking of, of, of Michael Smith, that was my next question to you, Adam. Uh, one man we all know is going to play a huge part tomorrow, former Pompey striker Michael Smith, because every single former Pompey player always comes back and puts in the performance of their lifetime. Yeah, and uh, it'd probably be worth to get in with the bookies early and put some money on um, and put him on to score first, I expect. No, just kidding. Um, yeah, I think, you know, we when he was with us, he didn't deliver in the way um, maybe that we wanted to at the time. Mm. Um, but since he's gone, gone left us, you know, he, I think he's been fantastic for Rotherham over the years. He's been there since 2018, and you know, I think they uh, they quite they quite appreciate him over there. So um, yeah, he brings something different different to the game. Very physical. Um, it's going to be a really tough challenge for the defence tomorrow. Um, you know, hopefully the likes of Raggett can go up against him and make it hard for him. But um, yeah, definitely one we need to keep an eye out for tomorrow. 
uh, mockers on Twitter has got in touch. Very impressed listening to Andrew Cullen's interview on Express FM. He's prepared to take on the board and the fans' ideas to improve the matchday experience. Uh, Henry Weston Cider, beer and uh, Tyrrell's Crisp, please, Mr Cullen says. Uh, mockers on Twitter there. Uh, thank you for getting in touch. Uh, right then. OK, then. Time is really creeping up on us now. So let's move on and uh, dive a little deeper into this week's opponents. Here's Connor Mosley with all you need to know about Rotherham United. Following Tuesday's defeat to Sutton United in the EFL Trophy, this weekend welcomes the return of league action for the Blues. The opponents from match day number 12 comes in the form of Rotherham United. Pompey Live, this week's opposition. Danny Cowley's side embark upon a 450-mile round trip for their latest League One adventure, South Yorkshire, the destination this time around. He takes his side into the match off the back of a 2-0 loss to League Two newcomers Sutton in midweek, but also reeling in confidence having beaten Sunderland 4-0 on home turf 10 days prior. Here's a closer look at the side playing host at the ACL New York Stadium. Manager. Former Millers midfielder Paul Warren remains in charge of Rotherham. The 48-year-old took post at the helm on a caretaker basis in November 2016, following the resignation of none other than Kenny Jackett, with the side struggling in the championship. Warren was given the reins on a permanent basis until the end of the season in January 2017, but given a one-year rolling contract three months later, despite the confirmation of relegation down to League One. He managed to take the club back up to the second tier the first time of asking in 2018, but oversaw immediate relegation the following season. However, with Rotherham gaining the reputation of Yo-Yo Club in recent times, in typical Miller's fashion, Warren led the club back up to the Championship again in 2020, though unsurprisingly, relegated back down to League One in 2021. One to watch. One-time Portsmouth target Kieran Sadlier is one to watch this weekend. The now 27-year-old plays as a forward, predominantly out wide, and was rumoured to be on Kenny Jackett's shopping list before signing for Doncaster in 2018. The Irishman, who came through the youth ranks of West Ham United, has been at Rotherham since August 2020, with the club offering championship football at the time. Sadlier has gone on to make 22 appearances, scoring twice. Top scorer. With seven goals and two assists to his name in the league at this stage, former blue striker Michael Smith leads the way as far as goal scoring is concerned for the South Yorkshire club. The 29-year-old, who dons the number 24 shirt, has scored 40 goals from over 150 appearances so far throughout his Rotherham United career. Smith spent the 2016-17 campaign at Fratton Park, scoring just three in 18 appearances, having impressed Paul Cook during his loan spell during the tail end of the previous season, where he netted four in 16 for the Blues. The last time these two sides met at the New York Stadium, Michael Smith claimed an assist to Joe Matek's 91st-minute winner, sending Pompey home pointless in January 2018. Current form. Rotherham's opening six matches of the campaign produced a pattern of win-loss, win-loss, win-loss. They have since gone undefeated in their last five, winning three and drawing two. Overall, Paul Warren's side sit fifth in League One on 20 points, just three behind Wickham in second. Last time out for the Millers, a 4-1 Papa John's Trophy win at home to Scunthorpe in midweek. That victory followed on from a 6-0 thrashing of Doncaster Rovers away from home in the opening round of the group stage. Statistically speaking, Rotherham have the second best defence in the league so far. Having had their goal line breached on just nine occasions, only Wigan Athletic have conceded less with just seven against their name. So can the Blues keep the momentum going from that 4-0 win over Sunderland somewhat two weeks ago? All the misery of Tuesday's trophy defeat helped Rotherham to claim maximum points this time around. All of the unmissable action on Pompey Live. Big thank you to Connor Mosley there with a closer look at tomorrow's opponents, Rotherham United. And uh, unsurprisingly, Michael Smith is currently the uh, leading goal scorer at the New York Stadium. Mark Coates, uh, back into the conversation now then. Uh, Rotherham, fifth in the table. As Connor mentioned there, they are a yo-yo club. They seem to just go up and down and up and down. So you wouldn't be too surprised if come the end of this season, they are promoted to the Championship. So going to their place on 
the form, the overall form Pompey have been on in the last two months, of course, taking into consideration that victory over Sunderland. Who goes into the game with more confidence? Well, looking, I was looking at the statistics for the last 10 games and in the last 10 games, Pompey have only won one and Rotherham have six wins um, and two draws. And in those last 10, Michael Smith has scored seven, like you say. So I'd say, uh, with, particularly with him up front, um, but it, it's got to be Rotherham. It's It's got to be. And given the strange conditions, maybe Pompey... You know, let's let's hope that they're not negative in any way. Let's hope they they take that four 0 win and and Marcus in particular who couldn't buy a goal for a while takes his exceptional performance, um and and they they're reborn. And it wouldn't be too surprising, Adam, to see Danny Cowley name an unchanged lineup for the Blues League game from that victory over Sunderland. Of course, one name who will be missing will be Ronan Curtis be, uh, due to suspension, picking up five yellow cards at this stage of the campaign. Who would you like to see to come in and replace him? Oh, well, I, oh, sorry. No, we've all got ideas on this. Apologies, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> um, for tomorrow, ooh, it's a tricky one. Um, I like the suggestion earlier of moving Harness further forward. Um, I think Fairchild can step up into that position. Um, it's a tricky one. I, you know, Curtis is one of those players that on his day is unplayable mm. can be the best player on the park but on others can go missing in the game um and it really depends what ronan curtis you get um for tomorrow i'd like to see harness fill in his position and work around with fairchild as well i think that would be sort of the best yeah. best look going forwards and especially fairchild being uh a taller stronger player i think it'll he'll fit into the game a lot better um uh, as well so yeah i think that'll be the way to go tomorrow Adam, thank you very much. I'm going to have to press you both uh, for a score prediction very quickly. Mark Coates, Pompey, away to Rotherham. What are you going for? I'm going to say two all because um, I can't say a loss, not as a Pompey <laughs> fan. Mark's going for two all. Adam, what are you going for? Yeah, I was going to be a bit of a pessimist as well. And uh, yeah, we're not going to have anyone predicting a win tomorrow. I'm going to go for 1 1. Well, I'm going to go for a 2 1 Pompey win. I don't know about you lot, but I'm going to go for a victory. Okay, well, that is uh, just about it from us uh, to tonight, Pompey fans. Once again, a big thanks to both Mark and Adam for joining me on the show this evening, despite their negative score predictions. I'll be back on Monday night with uh, uh, two more supporters here on the Football Hour from 6 o'clock through till 7. But uh, before then, the Blues are returning to League One action. Basically, they travel to Rotherham United this weekend and you can catch all of the unmissable action with myself, Liam and Henry Deacon right here on Express FM from two o'clock tomorrow afternoon. Everything we do is passionately Pompey. Portsmouth have found a way yet again. This is... You wouldn't believe it! Pompey Live. Pompey took a step closer to the EFL Trophy exit door in midweek with a 2-0 defeat at home to Sutton United. Coming up next for the Blues, a return to league action. South Yorkshire for destination. Join us for all of the unmissable action this Saturday from 2. It's Pompey away to Rotherham United. Join us for it here on Pompey Live. Pompey Live on Express FM with Aqua Cars. I'll be travelling alone to the New York Stadium this week and I'll be joined here on Pompey Live by Liam House and Henry Deacon. And uh, speaking of footballing action this weekend, we send our best wishes and good luck to Haven to Waterlooville. They travelled to Torquay United in the final round of qualifying fixtures this season's FA Cup. One more win for the Hawks and they are in the first round proper. So best of luck to them. Right then, plenty to look forward to here on Express FM between now and two o'clock tomorrow. And your weekend starts right after the seven o'clock news as Connor Mosley delivers four hours of absolute bangers up until 11. Express Floor Fillers is coming up next. Turner James is back in the mix between 11 and midnight with more Floor Filler anthems and then there's another chance to catch tonight's show tomorrow morning. If you're up and up about at 4am you can tune in for a repeat of this evening's instalment of the Football Hour. But if you can't wait that long or if you tuned in late this evening you can listen back at your own leisure from 7.30 this evening. The podcast of this episode will be going live on our website very shortly. Be sure to join Ian McGuinness from 8 o'clock tomorrow morning with Express Breakfast through to 11 where Lily Park takes control with a warm-up to Pompey Live. Lily's got great music, the tiny quiz and a look at what's happening in Portsmouth this weekend too. Once again, a big thank you to those who tuned in this evening. Thank you to Mark and Adam. Thank you to Andrew Cullen. But until next time, take care Pompey fans and play up Pompey. Good night.